This is Puritans Read, where we read aloud great Puritan works, authors, and biographies. Season 2 is A Practical Treatise of Fear by John Flavel. Christians have always found it a spring of courage and comfort, 2 Corinthians 1.12. For our rejoicing is this, the testimony of our consciences, that in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God, we have had our conversation in the world. Their hearts did not reproach them with by-ends in religion. Their consciences witnessed that they made not religion a cloak to cover any fleshly design, but were sincere in what they professed, and this enabled them to rejoice in the midst of sufferings. An earthen vessel set empty on the fire will crack and fly in pieces, and so will an hypocritical, formal, and mere nominal Christian. But he that hath such substantial and real principles of courage as these within him will endure the trial, and be never the worse for the fire. The very heathens discovered the advantage of moral integrity and the peace it yielded to their natural consciences in time of trouble. Nil conscire tibi nulla palascere culpa, hic moris ahuenus esto. It was to them as a wall of brass. Much more will godly simplicity and the sprinkling of the blood of Christ upon our consciences secure and encourage our hearts. This atheistical age laughs conscience and purity to scorn. But let them laugh. This is it which will make thee laugh when they shall cry. Paul exercised himself or made it his business to have always a conscience void of offense, both towards God and towards man, Acts twenty four sixteen. And it was richly worth his labor. It repaid him ten thousand folds in the peace, courage, and comfort it gave him in all the troubles of his life, which were great and many. Conscience must be the bearing shoulder on which the burden must lie, Beware, therefore, it be not galled with guilt or put out of joint by any fall into sin. It is sad bearing on such a shoulder. Instead of bearing your burdens, you will not be able to bear its pain and anguish. To prevent this carefully, observe these rules. Number one, overawe your hearts every day and in every place with the eye of God. This walking, as before God, will keep you upright. Genesis 17.1 If you so speak and live as those that know God sees you, such will be your uprightness that you will not care if all the world see you too. An artist came to Drusius and offered to build him a house so contrived that he might do what he would within doors and no man see him. Nay, said Drusius, so build it that everyone may see. 
Number two, do no action, undertake no design. That you dare not preface with prayer, this is the rule. Philippians 4, 6, touch not that you dare not pray for a blessing upon. If you dare not pray, dare not to engage. If you cannot spend your prayers before, be confident. Shame and guilt will follow after. Number three, be more afraid of grieving God or wounding conscience than of displeasing or losing all the friends you have in the world besides. Look upon every adventure upon sin to escape danger to be the same thing as if you should sink the ship to avoid one that you take to be a pirate or as the fatal mistake of two vials wherein there is poison and physic. Number four, what counsel you would give another that give yourselves when the case shall be your own. Your judgment is most clear when interest is least felt. David's judgment was very upright when he judged himself in a remote parable. Number five, be willing to bear the faithful reproofs of your faults from men as the reproving voice of God, for they are no less when duly administered. This will be a good help to keep you upright. Psalm 135, 23 and 24. Let the righteous smite me, etc. It is said of Sir Anthony Cope that he shamed none so much as himself in his family prayers and desired the ministers of his acquaintance not to favor his faults. But tell me, said he, and spare not. Number six. Be mindful daily of your dying day and your great audit day and do all with respect to them. Thus keep your integrity and peace and that will keep you, keep out your fears and terrors. Rule nine, carefully record the experiences of God's care over you and faithfulness to you in all your past dangers and distresses and apply them to the cure of your present fears and despondencies. Recorded experiences are excellent remedies, Exodus 17:14. Write this for a memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. There were two things in that record, the victory obtained over Amalek and the way of obtaining it by incessant prayer. And there are two things to be done to secure this mercy for their use and benefit in future fears. It must be recorded and rehearsed, preserved from oblivion, and seasonably produced for relief. There are two special assistances given us against fear by experience. Number one, it abates the terror of sufferings. Number two, it assists faith in the promises. Number one, experience greatly abates the terror of sufferings and makes them less formidable and scaring than otherwise they would be. Fear saith, they are great waters and will drown us. Experience saith, they are much shallower than we think and are safely fordable. Others have and we may pass through the Red Sea and not be overwhelmed.
fear saith, The pains of death are unconceivable, sharp and bitter. The living little know what the dying feel, and to lie in a stinking prison is continual expectation of a cruel death is an unsupportable evil. Experience contradicts all these false reports which makes our hearts faint, as the second spies did the daunting stories of the first, and assures us, prisons and death are not, when we come home to them for Christ, what they seem and appear to be at a distance. Oh, what a good report have those faithful men given who have searched and tried these things, who have gone down themselves into the valley of the shadow of death and seen what there is in a prison and in death itself so long as they were in sight and hearing, able by words or signs to contradict our false notions of it. Oh, what a sweet account did Pomponius Algerius give of his stinking prison at Lyon in France dating all his letters whilst he was there, from the delectable orchard of the Leonine prison. And when carried to Venice in a letter from the prison there, he writes thus to his Christian friend, I shall utter that which scarce any will believe. I have found a nest of honey in the entrails of a lion, a paradise of pleasure in a deep, dark dungeon, in a place of sorrow and death, tranquility of hope, and life. Oh, here it is that the Spirit of God and of glory rests upon us. So, blessed Mr. Philpot, our own martyr, in one of his sweet, encouraging letters, Oh, now my heart leaps, saith he, that I am so near to eternal bliss. God forgive me my unthankfulness and unworthiness of so great glory. I have so much joy of the reward prepared for me, the most wretched sinner, that though I be in the place of darkness and mourning, yet I cannot lament, but am night and day so joyful, as though I were under no cross at all. In all the days of my life I was never so joyful. The name of the Lord be praised. Others have given the signals agreed upon betwixt them and their friends in the midst of the flames thereby to the last, confirming this truth, that God makes the inside of sufferings quite another thing to what the appearance and outside of them is to sense. Thus the experience of others abates the terrors of sufferings to you, and all this is fully confirmed by the personal experience you yourselves have had of the supports and comforts of God wherein soever you have conscientiously suffered for his sake. Number two, and this cannot but be a singular assistance to your faith, your own and others' experiences, just like Aaron and her, stay up the hands of faith on the one side and the other, that they hang not down whilst your fears, like those Amalekites, fall before you. For what is experience but the bringing down of the divine promises to the test of sense and feeling? It is our duty to believe the promises without trial and experiments, but it is easier to do it after so many trials, so that your own and others' experiences 
carefully recorded and seasonably applied, would be food to your faith and a cure to many of your fears in a suffering day. Rule 10. You can never free yourself from sinful fears till you thoroughly believe and consider Christ's providential kingdom over all the creatures and affairs in this lower world. Poor timorous souls, is there not a king, a supreme lord, under whom devils and men are? Hath not Christ the reins of government in his hands? Matthew twenty-eight eighteen, Philippians 2, 9, 10, 11, 12, John 17, 2. Were this dominion of Christ and dependence of all creatures on him well studied and believed, it would cut off both our trust in men and our fear of men. We should soon discern they have no power either to help us or to hurt us but what they receive from above. Our enemies are apt to overrate their own power in their pride, and we are as apt to overrate it too in our fears. Knowest thou not, saith Pilate to Christ, that I have power to crucify thee, and I have power to release thee? Q.D. Refusest thou to answer me? Dost thou not know who and what I am? Yes, yes, saith Christ, I know thee well enough to be a poor, impotent creature who has no power at all but what is given thee from above. I know thee, and therefore do not fear thee. This concludes part 24 of John Flavel's A Practical Treatise of Fear.